When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, it's another edition of Film Study. This is the Know Your Foe episode for the game that we've been talking about for over two weeks. Uh, Sunday night football this weekend. Patriots come to town. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm all good. I can't wait for Sunday night. Got my uh, black jerseys ready. Saw the Ravens are going all black out on Sunday. So uh, I'm uh, very excited for it. I hope that it will be exciting. It- I don't really like night football. A lot of one of the things that, it, in addition to being a little colder, it holds me back on the start of analysis and makes that more difficult. But this will be a fantastic national game. I mean, this is just exactly what the public would love to see in terms of a, a, a great old schemer, Belichick, and the and the the eight no Patriots, and finding out if they're for real after the teams they've played so far, and then getting a chance against one of the young stars of the league. Sure, sure. Well, you know what's nice about night football is it still ends before these 8 o'clock baseball starts. <laughs> so we'll be all good there. So, uh, But we got to bring, you know, know your foe. We bring in an expert on the uh, opponent, Patriots, this weekend. So we're bringing in 
Mark Schofield, who writes for Pat's Pulpit, which is part of SB Nation. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Josh. Ken, I'm excited to be here. And as you guys are really excited to talk about this game, this game has a ton of fantastic storylines and elements to it. I think the offense that the Baltimore Ravens have been running this year, the way they're using Lamar Jackson, is fantastic to watch from a conceptual standpoint. I'm fascinated to see what Bill Belichick is going to do to go up against that. So I'm excited to break this game down, and I'm even more excited just to watch it on Sunday night. Such a pleasure to have you, Mark. Uh, you know, I, I, we've just had a little bit of a, of a preamble here, a little bit of a production meeting, and we clearly have exactly what we're looking for in terms of film study in Baltimore and, and a guy who's going to really be able to dig in to the Patriots uh, and, and tell us what they're all about. Not, of course, what this episode is about. Let's let's start right out with I think the thing everybody's most interested in is the status of Tom Brady and how he's been playing this year. How are they using him that maybe he's different from the past? Should we be worried at all about the third down conversion rate being a little lower than it has been? Yeah, it's a fascinating question, Ken, and it's one that obviously Patriots fans wonder about because in the back of all of their minds, look, the end of the Tom Brady era, that window, we do know that it is closing. And he says he has said for a long time that he would like to play until he's 45, but we know Father Time is undefeated. And while Tom Brady might take father time the distance, the fact of the matter is eventually Brady's going to lose that fight in the end. And we're even hearing rumblings that maybe he's going to finish his career somewhere else. Adam Schefter with some reporting over the mm. past week and a half or so that maybe it ends in New England sooner than we expect. And we might see him in a different uniform come next year. Brady put his house on sale. You know, they had the one year restructure of the deal in this offseason. And so we are headed in sort of uncharted waters. But as far as Brady on the field, when you sort of study his play, you're not seeing that sort of cliff or that drop off or that sharp decline in his ability that you might have seen in other older quarterbacks. When you watch, say, a, a Peyton Man at the end of his career or a Brett Favre at the end of his career. Now, both of them did have some injury issues, but you saw a severe drop in ability. You saw them lose velocity on all of their throws. You saw them lose accuracy. You saw them struggle to maneuver in the pocket. You don't see that really with Tom Brady. Yes, he's not as accurate as he once was. And yes, there are times when Patriots fans would love to see him have more zip on that fastball. But for the most part, he still is the quarterback we've seen over the years. They can still use him on the quick end. They love to get the ball out of his hands fast on quick game route concepts. This is a time and a rhythm based offense. He's still very adept at moving around in the pocket. We know he's not a super athletic guy, but he will feel that backside edge pressure and click and climb the pocket extremely well. There was a play Monday night against the Jets where they brought a corner blitz. He's able to evade that guy, keep his eyes downfield, finds Brandon Bolden in the flat for a check down, and he almost picks up the first down of a catch and run. And so while he's not the 2007 Brady or the 2012 Brady, he's still very good. The thing that's been holding back this offense, particularly on third downs, is they're still in the process, Ken, of trying to find out what it is that they do well. They've had injuries. They've had some guys in and out of the lineup. We know the Antonio Brown situation where at this stage of most seasons, you can figure out who the Patriots are offensively. They're a 12 personnel team, an 11 personnel team. Last year, maybe a 21 personnel team. We don't know who they are right now. They wanted to be maybe a 21 personnel team, but they lost both of their fullbacks. They wanted to be a 12 personnel team at times, but you know, Matt Lacoste has been injured. Ryan Izzo has been injured. You know, they were playing that Thursday nighter against the Giants down to just an 11 personnel package with one of their tight ends as a fullback because everybody was banged up. And so 
that's been a work in progress until they sort of figure out exactly their offensive identity. You might see those third down numbers struggle a bit, and they've had some injuries up front. So Brady's still playing well. I think this offense could get better as this season goes on. That's probably not what most fans want to hear that aren't based in New England, but <laughs> that's kind of where they're at right now. So a couple of things, and looking through what's happened so far this year, there's obviously a tremendous reliance on Julian Edelman, more than than I can remember ever any time in the past, even on Welker in those years. He's already been targeted 79 times through these first eight games. You know, that's a, that's a terrific pace even for him. Is anybody trying to do anything different about that, like even any kind of lateral brackets, any kind of, of, of gimmick coverages that stick a robber? running through his route. You know. Right, yeah, Ken, it's a great question. And a, a perfect example of this is we know that one of the things that New England loves to do is that cross and route to Edelman, whether a strict dig route or that sort of shallow cross or working off of play action, but they'll sometimes come to it in straight drop back situations. And if you go back and watch their game against Washington, it was on New England's opening possession where Washington actually ran an inverted coverage where they dropped double robbers down. So you had both safeties come down to take away that dig route working across the formation. And so when you're seeing teams try to do things like that with Edelman to take away those digs, to take away those crossers, because that's sort of their bread and butter passing play right now is, you know, thrown to Edelman off of those crossing routes. They took that away on this particular play by Washington. They forced Brady to pull it down. He was ended up taking a sack on that play. So that's one thing the teams have tried, not so much brackets, but some robbers, some rats, and some buzz-type coverages to take those routes away from Edelman. All right. Well, the middle of the field until a couple of weeks ago had been a huge problem for the Ravens at inside linebacker. They had tremendous coverage problems, a bunch of downhill players who can't play a route behind them to save their lives, but they've since replaced those guys. And effectively, they've all had their snaps taken away. Now they have binds. Uh, who's been in the league for a long time, originally with the Ravens, and, uh, and Fort who's played eight years in the league with half a season of defensive snaps, with mostly with Pittsburgh, but seems to have some coverage skills, which is kind of nice. And they play a lot of quarter and dime packages. So specifically in the quarter, which I think the, the Patriots will end up seeing on passing downs a lot, it might be a four-corner quarter, or it might be a four-safety quarter. But what do you expect the, the Patriots to try to do against coverages like that that are very light, uh, very DB-heavy? You know, I think what you're probably going to want to see in those situations, if you're a Patriots fan, is you're going to rely on, and this is something that Josh McDaniels loves to do from a conceptual standpoint, is then get running backs working on linebackers. If you're going to see these sort of sub packages where you might see, you know, whether it's a bracket or a quarter situation across the board, and you're going to take away some of these deep stuff and make them play in front of you, well, then just do that. Play in front of them, but have it where it's a Rex Burkhead on a, a Ford, like you said, or a James White, who they love out of the backfield because they love sort of attacking linebackers with running backs in the passing game. They, that's I, I did want to be clear about this. Because the Ravens have had all these problems at inside linebacker, that's how they've gone to the quarter package. And people often confuse that with playing quarters. It's This is the quarter package with seven defensive backs. And so the Ravens have gone to be playing this with a with a race car up front in terms of a, of four outside linebackers as their pass rush, and and I'm just wondering if the if how the how you might see Brady attacking a defense like that the quarter defense it gives the Ravens the maximum flexibility certainly in terms of dealing with the passing game it could be weak against the run I don't know what the what the Patriots have that they'd be willing to try on third and six or third and seven say uh, in terms of running the ball but it, but 
I'm just interested in seeing how, you know, who, who would be the go-to receiver under that circumstance? Right, and that sort of gets us into what the Patriots saw last year in the division round game against the Chargers, because in that game, the Chargers were extremely banged up at the defensive, at the linebacker position, so they were also playing very, you know, light packages, six defensive backs, seven mm-hmm. defensive backs, and that's when you saw a couple of things from New England. You saw them go to that 21 personnel package and be willing to run the ball against that look, even if it's a third and six, third and seven situation, trust in the fact that, look, if you're going to go extremely light in those situations, we're comfortable running the ball. Now, that was when James Devlin was healthy. It's different now when you don't have Devlin, you don't even have Jacob Johnson, their backup fullback, and so they sort of trust Benjamin Watson, a tight end slash fullback in this offense right now so you might see some route concepts some situations where they'll go to the ground game even on third and six they like to go screen game especially with james white if you're going to play off coverage if you're going to have that quarters look with the six and seven defensive backs and you're going to have that nascar race car type package up front to try to get after brady they're fine going screen in that situation josh mcdaniels dialed up two screens in the second half of their game against cleveland on sort of third and long situations just to negate what Miles Garrett and company could do up front. So I think if that's what we're going to see, I think you're going to see them rely on the run. Maybe run the, a draw or two here and there, as well as get in white, get in Burke, get involved in the screen game, rather than trying to force throws downfield into the teeth of a six and seven defensive back look. Because while they love Edelman and they trust Edelman to work himself open, they like the acquisition of Sanu. It's tough. These guys aren't guys that can win one-on-one routes downfield against heavy coverage packages like that. So they'll, again, try to tack it a different way. All right. All right. Very interesting. So you've mentioned Sanu here, and we've talked a little bit about Edelman, obviously. But the wide receiver core is pretty scant, frankly, for for the Patriots at this point. Josh Gordon early in the year started with the Patriots. Kind of tell me about how they've evolved through that and now who they've settled on. Yeah, it, it has been scant. It has been a work in progress. But the group that they've sort of settled on, you have Sanu, you have Julian Edelman, obviously, but they really like Jacoby Myers, the undrafted rookie free agent out of NC State, a former college quarterback, converted to wide receiver. He sort of earned himself into the Brady circle of trust over the past couple of weeks. They even had a route concept. It was a third and four situation designed for him last week out of a bunch look where he was the inside receiver on the trips bunch to the left. He runs a quick flat route to the left flat. Both other receivers release vertically. It's just a rub situation to create room for Jacoby Myers, an undrafted rookie free agent. So he's earned himself some trust from Tom Brady. And then the emergence of Philip Dorsett has become sort of a, a Z-type receiver in their offense. They don't move him around as much as they do Julian Edelman. But they trust him on the boundaries. They trust him on comeback routes. They'll use him in the vertical passing game. He had a beautiful touchdown reception from Tom Brady on a simple go-fade route in the red zone against the Jets on that Monday night game. And so, you know, it's the emergence of Dorsett and Jacoby Myers that have really sort of helped this wide receiver group become something that was a question mark at various points throughout the season. And even right now, it still is a work in progress. But those two guys, they're starting to dial up around concepts for them. Brady trusts them in certain clutch situations. And so while it's not the type of situations where, you know, you're worried about doubling a Julian Edelman or bracketing a Julian Edelman because you're terrified of what those guys will do. It does give you some pause as a defensive coordinator because those guys can make plays for Brady. Yeah. The, the screen, you mentioned the screen game. Myers, 10 of 11, 10 of 11 targets caught the last three weeks. It does look like he's, he's gotten some significant play here. You mentioned the screen game, though, and this is a place where I would think 
that you would almost be spying the running back in the same way another team might spy Jackson or Russell Wilson or whatever. I mean, Brady is not leaving the pocket. If he does, he's probably not going very far. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it makes all kinds of sense to make sure you shut down that screen game. How do the Patriots combat that? How do they get an extra blocker out there to take care of your, of your guy you have assigned to the, to the screen? Right. Well, there are a couple of different ways they do that. They like to do it sometimes with deception where they'll show you, for example, a smoke screen or a tunnel screen to the right side of the formation where Brady will come out, you know, usually in shotgun, fake a handoff, show you tunnel screen, smoke screen. You get a couple of defenders flowing that way and then they'll throw backside that running back screen, the traditional screen look away from that movement. The Patriots do so much with sort of misdirection looks, and they love sort of the play action, then throwback screen to the running back. So if you're a linebacker or if you're, you know, a safety down in the box, you see that run fake to a James White, you see Brady start dropping back, you're thinking play action. You might be worried about that crosser, that dig from Julian Edelman. You forget about the running back for a second, and then he sort of gets himself free, you know, into the flat with a couple of blockers in front of him. You know, if Shaq Mason is healthy, if Joe Tooney, who has been a rock-solid left guard for them, Shaq Mason, their right guard, if those guys are healthy, those guys are very good in sort of the downfield screen game, blocking downfield in front of running backs. On one of the screens that I mentioned from last week against Cleveland, the 59-yard screen to James White, it was Joe Tooney who had a great block, you know, in the backfield against their linebacker, Joe Schobert, you know, to help spring that play. And so their guards are athletic enough. They can get out in front of these plays, get into space. And Brady's very adept at running the screen game. You know, like you said, Ken, it's a great point. You're not going to spy Tom Brady. But if 28's in the game, you might want to spy him. Even if Rex Burkett, 34, is in the game, you might want to pay some extra attention to him. But you certainly don't have to worry about putting a spy on number 12. There you go. All right, now you started to mention the, the guards on the offensive line. We, we, we really have a lot of offensive line fans that listen to the show. I do offensive line scoring, and, and there's, a, there's probably a prevalence of that. Take us through player by player through the offensive line in terms of how they're playing this season. The offensive line's a work in progress. And coming into the season, you could talk to offensive line experts, Duke Mannyweather, Brandon Thorne, who does some great work for the Athletic Denver. He was on my show, and he said preseason, look, this was perhaps the best offensive line unit in football, particularly in the interior with Joe Tooney and Shaq Mason. And then, you know, center David Andrews, who's a fantastic center for this offense, extremely smart, great process and speed at the center position. And those three guys in the interior were all so adept at nonverbal communication. When you're passing off twists and stunts, you don't need to call it out. It's just second nature. Andrews is gone with a health condition. He's out for the season. Now you've got, instead of Isaiah Wynn, their rookie first-round pick from a year ago, who was going to be their left tackle, you've got Marshall Newhouse now at left tackle. And Mason was out last week, and so, you know, you had, instead of Shaq Mason in the game, you had James Ferenc, a backup offensive guard. So you've got Ted Garris at center, who's a solid player. He's got good upper body strength and the ability to re-anchor, but he doesn't have the sort of process and speed that, you know, David Andrews has, and he doesn't certainly have the experience of playing with the guys on his left, Tooney and right, Mason. So stunts and twists have been a problem at times, particularly on the interior. And it's so critical if you're protecting Tom Brady to protect those A-gaps because we know quick A-gap interior pressure is one of the things that frustrates Tom Brady so much. But teams have started to stunt and twist and cross Ted Karras' face, and it gives him some trouble. On you know the left tackle spot, Mar- Marshall Newhouse, he's acquitted himself well, but he's very susceptible to speed moves to the outside, whether it's a pure speed move or a quick rip move to the outside. He can get beat around the edge. Brady's good at clicking and climbing, but he can avoid that, but he can't avoid both that and interior pressure. And so those are some areas where, obviously, you know Cleveland last week, Baltimore coming up this week, 
Patriots fans are concerned about getting pressure off those edges. Marcus Cannon is a solid right tackle, not spectacular, but good enough. And again, might be susceptible to moves to the outside. But all these offensive linemen are taught by Dante's connected to protect the inside first. Because again, Brady, not mobile, troubles with pressure in his face, but can click and climb. So if you get beat to the outside, it's not going to harm them too much. Joe Tooney is an extremely solid left guard. This is a, a free agent season for him. I'd expect him to draw a ton of attention on the market, but very solid. They love to run behind him. He's good in the pulling game as well. You know, they will pull him at times to the edges. They'll use him on traps. Very effective in that part of the game. Solid anchor, ability to pass block in the interior. So he's very good. You know, when he's healthy, Shaq Mason is also very good. He's been susceptible with some bull rushes this year on the inside. A couple of times against Miami earlier this year. A couple of times recently, he's given up some sacks or some pressures where it's just a straight power move that got into him a bit. Got him driven backwards a little bit, so that's something to watch for if he can go. If he can't go, then I said you get James Ferenc, who was solid at times last week in his start against Cleveland, but certainly not the player that Shaq Mason is. Okay, so let's go. Let's go back a little bit to Tooney first of all. He's a left guard, correct? Yeah, that's right. The team. The team is primarily right-handed, meaning they do most of their pulling power football to the right side. That's for the most part. Yes, they like to do sometimes crack toss as well. They'll do that to both sides, um, but if it's you know quick. Pulls and traps on the inside. It's primarily right-handed, like you said. All right, very good. Okay, uh, I think that's a great primer on the offensive line. I don't think we need to go a lot deeper than that, but that's uh, that's interesting that the inside protection is what they go for, which tells me the Ravens might do well to try to get away from the race car package and go for more of a maybe Michael Pierce to push the pocket and also go for that dual pincer pressure look on Brady that will – pressure from the front, and also pressure off the edge. One thing you'll like, I'm sure, is that the Ravens really have a lot of trouble rushing off the edge this year. They they are very shorthanded. Their uh, fourth-round draft pick from three years ago, they cut midseason with just utter frustration with him. Uh, they lost Pernell McPhee last week or in the last game against Seattle, and, and he's not uh, going to be back for the rest of the year. So uh, they're very shorthanded right now, and one of the guys they picked up who I expect to play is, I want to make sure I pronounce his name correctly, but Kamalu from, uh, from the Patriots. Uh, who who appears to have great size to get his hands up and is supposed to be a guy who can play either on the inside as a five tech, you know, obviously could play other techniques, a three tech perhaps on a passing down, but also on the outside as a standing outside linebacker. Have you heard that about him? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the experience that I had sort of in doing some work on him while he was in New England. I think that's sort of a pretty good scouting report and primer on him. I mean, the, the main thing that you mentioned there is that ability to get the hands up because that is something that he brings to the table. And when you're talking about defending Tom Brady, we know the snap to release time is, if not the quickest, it's usually among the quickest in the league. And there will be times when tries you might, you're not going to get close to him, but you've got to get those hands up. Because he's going to want to take the one-step, the three-step drops from center, the one-step drop from the gun, and get the ball out. And so if you can't get close, you've got to get the arms up. You know, they do work with Brady on trying to throw through brooms, throw through traffic, throw through hands. But, you know, that's something that if he can bring to the table and you knock a couple of those down, you know, that could be a big part of this game on Sunday night. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully you don't knock him down, you knock him up. And then you really got something. Uh, that that's fantastic. Uh, let's see. What else do we want to talk about on the offense? We, we you talked a little bit about the personnel schemes they like to run it, and really kind of deciding whether they're a twelve, a twenty-one, or an eleven personnel team. In terms of running, the, I think of the Patriots as being a team that always liked to run out of eleven personnel, or often liked to in the past. Is that really the case anymore? Do they have three wide receivers? They like to their wide receivers like to run block. 
Yeah, I mean, their wide receivers do like to run block. That's something that the Patriots strongly consider an important trait at the wide receiver position. Their wide receivers take pride in doing that. You saw the buy-in already for Mohamed Sanu. They ran two different crack toss plays to his side of the field last week against Cleveland. And, you know, when you saw him working downhill towards the interior, taking on safeties and linebackers. And so they do still like to run out of 11. You know, they're trying to find, you know, which is their best run package. You know, the bulk of their running plays have come They've got 92%, 92 attempts out of 11 personnel this year. They're averaging 3.7 yards per carry on that. So it's not where they'd like to be, but, you know, they're trying a little bit of that more and more. You know, last year they were a heavy 21 personnel team. They ran it second most in the league behind only San Francisco. Most 21 personnel numbers have dropped precipitously since the loss of both, you know, James Devlin and Jack Johnson, their backup fullback. And so, if anything, Ken, we've seen more 10 personnel out of them mm-hmm. than anything else. Now, nobody's running it as much as Arizona. Arizona runs it more than everybody else. Exactly what I was going to say. 216 <laughs> plays this year in 10 personnel. But believe it or not, in terms of percentage, New England's next. You know, they've run 8% of their plays in 10 personnel, which is just 45 plays. But, you know, they're trying to get that package together. You know, they had it with Gordon, with Edelman, with Dorsett and Myers at some points. But, you know, you'll probably see some formations Sunday night with – Edelman and Sanu and Myers and Dorsett on the field. And then you've got James White. And that gives them the potential to go tempo, to get you into, if you want to go that quarters look where you're really light, you've got James White on the field, you've got Rex Burkett on the field as the running back. They could go up tempo. And if they catch you in that light package, then run the ball against those light fronts. And that's something that the Patriots historically have done. Use tempo and personnel together. We all think of the 12 personnel days with Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski with Danny Woodhead as the running back where they could go five wide or they could Mm -hmm. go two backs in a sense with Hernandez and Woodhead. And so it wouldn't surprise me to see them start more of that 10 personnel tempo stuff to try to catch teams in light fronts and then run against it. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. If if you have a fearless view of your no huddle on the road, and I think Brady is experienced enough that they can run the no huddle on the road effectively, then you can run out of third and six. You just got to be be prepared to do the same thing immediately and quickly on fourth and two. Right. That, and, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's a great point because, you know, Brady's had games in Baltimore. I mean, I think back to that 2007 game, the Monday Nighter, mm-hmm. the, they went 16-0, and where they went Temple. They went no huddle. And we know what that environment was like on that Monday night. We know what this environment's going to be like Sunday night. I mean, I live amongst Ravens fans here in the Maryland area. I know what it's going to be like Monday, a Sunday night. So it's going to be a raucous environment. But they trust Brady. He knows that offense inside and out. It would not surprise me to see them go with some tempo stuff. If they can get that package on the field, they want to work against. All right. Now, I, I got to ask you defensively, so we'll switch over to that side now, that thinking back to the 2012 playoff game, obviously they've played four absolutely fantastic playoff games against New England from the Ravens' perspective. Two of them were blowout wins by the Ravens. Obviously, after the 09 season, they stomped them with 52 rushing attempts. But after the 12 season, they beat them 21-0 in the second half when, when Belichick, had never, Belichick and Brady together had never been beaten leading no. at halftime. So the the thing that got the 12 game turned around was Flacco's ability to move to the shotgun. I won't say Flacco's ability, the decision to put Flacco in the shotgun and just go no huddle, no huddle, no huddle. The, the Patriots didn't really have an answer for it. That's one of my questions about the Patriots defensively this year. They seem to run a ton of uh, rotating personnel on defense in terms of the snaps. Are, are they prepared? Are the guys they have prepared to play a lot of consecutive snaps and still maintain what makes them good as a defense, whether that's the pass rush 
or whether that's uh, you know staying fresh where they need to stay fresh in the secondary or linebacker. Yeah, it's a fascinating question, Ken, and I think they would tell you right now that they trust that those guys can have the ability, whether it's up front, whether it's in the second level, whether it's in the secondary, to go you know deep into drives without substituting. You know, they're very deep, like you said, and it gives them the flexibility to almost play matchups in a sense. Like we sometimes talk about with offenses and the ability to dictate matchups you want and then exploit them as an offense. They can do that defensively, but they can do it in the secondary. They can do it at the second level. They can even do it from the up front and what they do in the pass rush situations. You know, but if they get it stuck into a situation where they're on the field six, seven, eight straight plays deep into a drive, you know, they haven't faced that yet. You know, they haven't faced that kind of tempo. Some teams have tried it basically due to, you know, scheme, game script or whatever. But it's one thing when it's at the end of a 34 nothing game or a 33 nothing game when, look, if you're winded, okay, you, you can sort of take a playoff. It's another thing if it's a 17-10 game in the fourth quarter and you're on the road and you need a stop to get Tom Brady the ball back. Then you really can't take a playoff. And so I think on paper, they trust the fact that they can have their guys go deep into drives. I think is another thing to have them have to go out and execute it when it matters. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. I mean, this is a heavyweight battle of snap count winning teams. The, the Patriots are plus 14.0 for the season. The Ravens are plus 13.9. And they, they lost the snap count battle for the first time last week. They were plus 18 and change going into that game, which I've never seen before. Not, not, right. I've never seen anything that high before. And to the, for these two teams, it's basically like two undefeated teams coming together in terms of the scarcity of teams that get to that level of positive snap count. So I, I'll, I'll be really interested to see how that works out. Uh, you know, as obviously as a Ravens fan, I'm hoping that, that, uh, that that's something they can, they can lever is uh, some tired packages and the ability to play no huddle. You know, this is something that I've, we've definitely seen the Patriots do in the past, but yeah, I even think of it more with the Manning teams of the past as being a team that can, Play no huddle, but slow play the no huddle by right. getting the line of scrimmage quickly and, and keeping your personnel locked there and then waiting 20 seconds to snap the ball. Yeah, and, you know, we, we've seen teams do that. We saw it, in, you know, for example, in the Super Bowl last year where that's how Sean McVay sort of coaches Jared Goff through plays, but he does it more out of necessity because he has to give Jared Goff sort of last-second instructions. And the Patriots, of course, they had an answer for that. They would wait until the 15-second mark – hit on the play clock, then they would change the look and they forced Jared Goff to sort of have to figure things out on his own. This is a different offense. You know, Baltimore has the ability to sort of get to the line of scrimmage and slow play things because they're going to run what they want to run. And the fact that they can run what they want to run and still confuse the linebackers, still confuse the safeties down in the box, that is one of the things that gives me serious pause about this game Sunday night because you know I just got done rewatching for the like third or fourth time that Seattle game. And you can see on that third quarter drive where they're, you know, showing the slice block from the tight end from one side to the other. They're showing a guard pulling from you know, the right guard pulling to the left edge. And if you're a linebacker, you see that you want to float to the edge, but they might hand it off to Edwards on the inside. They might hand it off to Ingerman on the inside. And then you get a third and 15. You see all that movement. And you think they're going to hand it off again. But Lamar Jackson cuts behind those guys for a 13 yard gain on third and 15. That's going to confuse the keys and the reads for these Patriots linebackers so much on Sunday night. And so, you know, Bill Palachuk, he always talks about and he stresses discipline and doing your job. But it's hard to fight every instinct as a linebacker when you see, you know, one key and you've got to fit to the edge. But the fear is if you do that, Lamar Jackson is going to go right and run right by where you were for a huge gain. And so, again, that little chess match of, 
you know, reading the keys for the linebackers against Lamar Jackson. Watch that part when the Ravens have the ball. I'm fascinated to see that. Yeah, I, I could not be more fascinated by that same aspect. In fact, part of what I've been talking about on the radio this week has been that I think the Ravens might do better to go with kind of first read plays. And that doesn't mean give up on the read option. You got to still do that some, but trying to do RPO fakes where you go into the mesh, then you come out, then you're trying to go through a progression of reads. It, I, I just think that gives you the, the Patriots more chance to let their scheme confuse you. Right. And so you do have that, you do have that, you know, that offset that you're trying to confuse the, the, the Patriots and try and make them not understand what you're doing on offense. Cause I mean, misdirection is what the Ravens do. They're se- that's what they're selling. But but on the other hand, you can't take so long with your plays that the that the uh, the Patriots deception then has a chance to work its magic and and get into the play. So it's a it's a you know a tough decision to make. Obviously, there's no one way to play it. You need to play it all the different ways. You need to spread out your scheme. But I, I'll be fascinated to see the chess match as well. Yeah, no, it's going to be brilliant. And I think you have a very good point about sort of you know sort of going right at them rather than you know, still using some of the misdirection, still using some pulls and some things like that. But you sort of want to get them to sort of second guess what they've been taught all week, which is going to be, you have to worry about eight. You know, you have to worry about his ability to sort of keep the ball. You have to sort of set the edge. If you're, you know, John Simon on the edge, if you're a Kyle Van Noy on the edge, if you're a Jamie Collins down on the edge, you have to set the edge. You have to stay home. Well, if you keep doing that and Lamar Jackson is just handing the ball off inside, eventually you're going to start to get tired of it and you might start to cheat inside. And then that's when sort of in the middle of the third quarter, he keeps it that one time and he turns what you thought was going to be a five-yard handoff into that 35-yard game that sort of breaks your back. And so I think there's something to that, Ken, to sort of just plant it straight early and then pulling some of that stuff out a little bit later. All right. So it's something we had seen earlier in this year from Lamar is that the Ravens play action scheme was highly scripted, which was kind of telling me, and particularly in terms of the traditional play action snaps, the turn your back, 360 degree kind of play action snaps. There's a lot of hand check snaps. He still does. He does a few mesh fakes, but fewer of those than he was doing. It's really about, about that turn your back play action was all happening during the scripted sequences, which was really bothersome, but we've been charting it play by play in the last few weeks. They've spread that out a little bit during the game so that they're showing more of it throughout the game. And I I think that's very important because I don't think you want to show, I don't think you want to show something to Belichick and let him figure out what the pattern is in in that way. And particularly the the Patriots advanced scouts have got to be among the best in the league based on what a good scheme they run in terms of picking up on that stuff. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And what's been interesting sort of watching, and again, I'm sort of looking at some of my notes here, you know, from that Seattle game. And I was really sort of impressed, not just with the initial script situation, because you saw some play action boot with sale. You saw another sale concept. You saw some mirrored concepts, which I really like as somebody that studies quarterbacks, because that's a great way to sort of give your quarterback a way to stretch the defense from sideline to sideline, but give them some easier reads and throws. It's a great way to sort of still challenge the defense across the board, but give the quarterback his best look. But then they came back to similar stuff later, but then they, you know, mixed it up again where, you know, there was a place in the second quarter, second and eight at the 1240 mark where they ran a three by one look and they had that bended row from left to right, which mirrors a play that they ran on the goal line. And it influenced the linebacker just enough to give the tight end the advantage. And so the job to sort of by Roman to set that up earlier by showing them that look and then flip it a little bit, just enough tweak. And I love the way he strung those two plays together. So I've been impressed with how they've been calling games lately. I was very impressed with some of the stuff they did in that Seattle game as well. 
Right. Well, with two weeks, I can guarantee you two things. One is Roman probably had another layer saved anyway, because he really believes in layering in new concepts every single week. Uh, we, we've seen some really strange things in terms of misdirection with two pullers and then running and running two pullers left to right and then and then a run left. Uh, we yeah. saw it with, with from Gus Edwards for 25 yards. Uh, you know, we've seen some 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 real oddball stuff. But I think in addition to that, we'll see another layer that we haven't seen before just because it's the Patriots and they knew they had to do something different in order to, to, to find space. I, I, one of the one of the players that I think and I think in general, the, the, the what the Ravens have that they can fit, match up against the Patriots in, a, in an effective way is their speed. And so they have Miles Boykin and they have Hill and they have Brown and they have Jackson and those four guys getting the ball in space. Obviously, Jackson gets there by other means, but they haven't really used Justice Hill yet this year, and he hasn't had a target in three weeks. But my guess is this is a breakout game for him just because of how the Patriots personnel stacks up against them. Yeah, I I think that's probably a a very good idea if you're at Baltimore and you're thinking about how to approach this game because, you know, the speed that Baltimore has and the ability of particularly guys like Brown to get vertical – and we know Lamar Jackson has the ability to push the ball downfield in the vertical passing game, just throw on that tape from week one against Miami. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a Patriots fan, you'll probably start to have some hot and cold sweats because we saw what he was able to do on New England passing concepts. I mean, he was carving that up running the Haas concept, which is something that Patriots fans know and love extremely well. And so, you know, the, the Patriots have some speed guys. They like Jonathan Jones in the secondary. You know, Jason McCourty is fast enough for some guys, but, you know, they don't have burners back there. And so what's really worked for New England this year is the marriage, the blend of pass rush and pass coverage. And I know it's been sort of a played out debate on the Twitter timeline and elsewhere, which matters more. But if you ask Bill Belichick and I dug up a quote from him from 2014, he basically said, look, they have to work in concert. You can have the best secondary in the world, but if you can't rush the passer, guys will eventually be open. You can have a fearsome pass rush, but if you can't cover anybody, guys are going to be open. And so they have to work in concert. The problem becomes if, New England's schemed pressure looks, the zero blitz stuff, if they decide to run it anyway, which they might not because they're worried about Lamar Jackson, if they do more zone stuff, if their schemed pressure looks don't start to get home, do they have the guys that can cover deep into plays and hang with the speed guys the Ravens have? That is a concern, I think, for New England going into Sunday night. All right. Outstanding. So let's look at some of the positional groups, maybe on defense, the defensive line. Kind of take us who's there, who's rotating through those positions. Yeah, I mean, up front, they've had two guys in the interior that have really performed well for them so far. They've had Danny Shelton, who they acquired last year, who's more of your traditional like two gap nose tackle type guy. He's performed extremely well. And Adam Butler in the interior, he's been that sort of pocket mover type guy on the inside as well. They can give you some quick penetration. They can stop some run plays before they get going, can move the pocket from the interior. On the edges, they've had an array of guys that they've run through. Dietrich Wise has gotten some snaps more in the past couple of weeks. They really like Lawrence Guy, what he does on the opposite edge. John Simon, who they acquired you know, two off seasons ago. You know, they like him set on the edge. He's a very disciplined player, very active as well. They have no problems also dropping him into coverage. He had a near interception in, in an earlier game this year. Um, he's a very, like I said, solid, disciplined type player. The rookie Chase Winovich, your quintessential Patriot, high motor type player. They will bring him in on sub packages. They'll bring him in on pure passing downs. And what we haven't seen a lot of this year, we've seen it some is their sort of amoeba front. This is something they ran last year a lot with Trey Flowers where he would be their one down lineman and then they'd have everybody else sort of in a two-point stance. What they would do with him is they'd line him up at your weak spot, whether it was 
guard, for example, they let him work on that guy one on one, and then flow everybody else around him, so you don't know who's coming or going. And so, you know, that's kind of what they've done with the defensive line. The linebacking core is very good. You know, they're very athletic. They're well rounded. Kyle Van Noy is an athlete who is flourishing in this role for New England, but they let him just be a will type linebacker, just be athletic, flow to the ball, make plays. Jamie Collins in his reemergence here in New England. Jamie Collins 2.0 has been much more disciplined. You know, I was watching that 14 divisional round game between these two teams. I was watching that this week. And if you remember that swing route to four set out of the backfield to give them that, you know, 28, 14 lead, he was open because Jamie Collins was so focused on just hitting the cross route in front of him. He neglected his job and he left him mm-hmm. wide open. We're not seeing plays like that from Jamie Collins this year. He's doing his job. He's setting the edge. He's being a disciplined player. And that's allowed him to make some plays. It's allowed him to be extremely effective. Dante Hightower, very stout player. They move him around a ton. They'll bring him down at the edge at times. They like to blitz him. They'll drop him into coverage. If he's a weakness for them, you saw it against Cleveland where he got beat on a corner route by the tight end. Now, he's not the best coverage player, um, but they try to limit his coverage snaps as best as they can. And then in the secondary, it's a very talented group. Uh, I think Stephon Gilmore is one of the best, if not the best, corners in football right now. Very smart, savvy player. And some of that nonverbal communication that we were talking about with their interior linemen, you can see that with some of their defensive backs. The near interception Gilmore had, it was on a passed-off coverage downfield where he trapped the out route that was coming from the slot 10 yards downfield. He didn't have to make a call or a hand signal or anything. He just knew that he would work inside. McCourty would move to the outside. And he had a near interception. So he's a very good player. Jonathan Jones is probably their speed guy. So you would look for him perhaps on the ground. He's their fastest DB. You know, he did get beat for a touchdown by Golden Tate on that Thursday night game. But, you know, a solid player. Jason McCourty, a veteran-type presence. And they love their safeties. They adore their safeties. They use them in very different roles. Chun's their down-in-the-box guy. They trust him in run support. When they go their sub-packages, 3 They'll align him sometimes as a linebacker. So you will actually see three down linemen, the other linebackers on the edges, and Patrick Shun as a middle linebacker. They did that against the Rams. They did mm-hmm. it against the Chiefs. They did it against the Colts last year. So you might see some of that. You know, Dewan Harmon's more of their deep safety type. And then Devin McCourty, who was a cornerback in college, they'll put him on tight ends. They'll use him in man coverage. Very active in run support. And that's also J.C. Jackson. You know, an undrafted free agent who can be, you know, a slot corner type coverage guy that they trust as well. So they love the secondary. They love the versatility of those players. And they love the fact that they can sort of mix and match based on what the receivers and the skill sets the receivers have. Okay, so there's two questions that come out of that for me. The first is, do they chase receivers with corners or do they line up in fixed positions because they got their boundary guys that they like? How do they line up? They usually chase. I mean, they will, you know, identify the matchups that they want. You know, for example, when you saw week one, Juju Smith-Schuster, they were worried about him. Or you saw Stephon Gilmore trail him at times. And so sometimes they will chase, but sometimes they won't. If they're worried about what teams are going to do sort of from a motion and movement perspective, they'll just say, look, we're staying at home this week. We're not going to chase. We're not going to trail. We trust our guys to cover and handle their skill sets. And so we'll do it a different way. So they do vary that week to week. They'll do both. This week, I would imagine you'll see at least some guys, particularly Jonathan Jones, trailing Brown because they're going to be worried about his speed. So that might happen. Or, you know, again, Bill Belichick's tough to predict. So maybe he says, no, we're going to play straight this week because I'm worried more about their movement and their shifting than anything else. Okay. All right. That's very interesting. Uh, 
let's see, what else have I got the question? Oh, yeah. You mentioned a three down lineman, two outside linebackers, and Chung as an inside linebacker, which would be a form of the dime there, and kind of an unusual one, or you could call it you could call it a three three five nickel if you want to talk Madden or you want to talk other things. But my question is how much how much dime do the Pats play? They obviously get a ton of play from their various defensive backs in total. But do, do they play a fair amount of six DB packages or even some seven? You know, last year they played more of it. They, they've played less of that this year, partly because they love the athleticism of the three linebackers they have in Van Noy, Collins, and Hightower. So they like keeping those guys on the field as much as possible. You know, the one thing that I have wondered about going into this week, we saw, you know, last year that tight front, we've got the, you know, the zero technique and then the two five techniques or the four eyes. You know, that's something you're seeing in the Big 12 to sort of stop the spread game. And then you have that safety, that joker safety role. They used Chun for that with, you know, Hightower and Van Noy on the edges, sort of an Iowa State type defense. We saw New England do that. On I, I charted out like 15% of their snaps, but they wouldn't just do it hmm. in prevent situations, Ken. You know, they had a second and goal from the four against Kansas City. They came out in that look and they stopped an inside run from Kareem Hunt. A third and one against Kansas City with Tyreek Hill in the backfield. They came out in that look. They ran a pitch to Tyreek Hill. Kyle Van Noy strings it out where he gets his help to the outside. Jason McCourty runs him out of bounds for no gain and forces a fourth down. And so we saw teams use that tight package against the Ravens. We saw the Chargers do it last year. We saw Seattle do a bit of it last week. So I think that might be something that they will do because they have the ability to sort of force things to the outside from that. So if you want to do some of that zone read stuff, you're going to take away the inside reads, force the stuff to the outside to where you now have the numbers advantage. New England's been playing with this scheme from a time to time. Like I said, 15% of their snaps last year. They might trot that out on Sunday night to try to slow down what the Ravens want to do. All right. Very good. Very good. All right. I mean, that's fantastic stuff. Uh, we've talked a little bit about, I think, all three levels of the defense now and what you've been through here before. Any overarching components of this? Or maybe how do you expect them more than anything to line up against Jackson Brown? We haven't talked too much about about uh, Andrews in this game and how he you know, is a little bit of a zone buster. But how do you how do you expect them to try and match up with the Ravens' weapons? Yeah, it, again, we know what this year Bill Belichick has wanted to do. He's a seriously heavy cover one, cover zero. We're going to play man. We're going to bring pressure. We have no qualms going zero bits. We saw what they did. They did a zero blitz situation, I think, 11 times against Sam Darnold. And I think he threw three interceptions or two interceptions mm-hmm. at least on those plays. So they definitely trust their defense. The problem becomes Lamar Jackson is a different quarterback. You know, he's unlike anything they've faced this year. And so I'm wondering if they do get away from the zone heavy, I mean, excuse me, the man heavy stuff we've seen and either go more zone, in which case, like you said, you've got guys like Mark Andrews that can beat that. You've got the speed of Hollywood Brown that can sort of take the top off zone defenses and free up some stuff underneath or get open himself. Or do they stick with the man and we see more single and even double spies? I mean, I'm wondering if we might see situations where if it's a third and six and they're worried about Lamar, we get a double spy with Jamie Collins and Patrick Chun both keeping mm-hmm. an eye on number eight because they're so worried about him. And if you do that, then either you're sacrificing bodies up front in the rush or other guys downfield in the coverage. And so that's the dilemma that I think Bill Belichick faces this week. How are we going to stop number eight? Are we going to get away from what we like to do, which is the zero blitz, the cover one stuff that has defined us so far this season and worked so well for us? And if so, are we going to play more zone and give them opportunities? Or are we going to stay with that man-heavy stuff, use single and double spies, but then sacrifice something else on the field? And 
push comes to shove, I think Bill Belichick wants to be that man coverage team. So I think we'll see more of the same, but with spies, which will give opportunities either for Lamar to make one of those guys miss or Lamar to extend plays because there's not enough rushers and he can still keep plays alive. Those guys won't crash down on him. And it gives guys opportunities to come open late and sort of scramble drill situations. All right. Outstanding stuff here. I'm going to ask you for one player you think matches up really well against the Ravens. I'll pick one also. Actually, I don't even need to do that. Let's cheer your player who matches up well against the Ravens. I I think, look, when when push comes to shove, it's the player that gives every Patriots fan sort of that hope that, look, it doesn't matter as long as this guy's on the field, that it's number 12. Because as long as Tom Brady is in the game, if you want to throw some of the sub packages, like you said, those quarter defense packages at him, He's going to find opportunities in some of those seams, in some of those zones, or to do some things in terms of just checking the ball down and letting guys create after the catch, you know, to keep the offense on schedule. He's been 20 years in the league now. There's nothing that he has not seen. There are teams that have had some success against him, most notably Buffalo, perhaps, because of the way they sort of spin their safeties at the snap. But other than that, He's always had the ability to sort of decipher what a defense is doing, take what the defense is going to give him. People might mock him for being a system quarterback, but he's fine being a system quarterback, seven, eight, nine, ten plays down the field, taking what you're going to give him as long as he gets the ball into the end zone. And so, you know, there are other guys that I could have picked. I I think Jamie Collins might be a fascinating player to watch on Sunday night because he might get tasked with that stopping and spying Lamar Jackson responsibility. That would be a fascinating matchup. Patrick Chunk, perhaps against Mark Andrews, might be where this game gets decided. But I think the guy that most Patriots plans will roll with is number 12. All right. Very cool. Mark, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming on. This is one of the best episodes we've ever had of this type. Uh, Really appreciate the depth you go into here. Uh, Where can folks find your work, your Twitter handle? What can we plug for you? Let's go through all that stuff. Well, thanks so much, Ken, for for having me on. I got to say this is one of the most enjoyable shows I've been on because the knowledge coming from your side is just overwhelming at times i'm very impressed with how you got into the ravens and how well you know this team the work you put in it certainly shows in the questions and the preparation so i'm very impressed i hope to get to come on some other time maybe for a playoff game i would love to be able to do that as far as where people can find me at mark schofield on twitter i keep it easy right for a variety of places most notably pro football weekly matt waldman's rookie scouting portfolio and then a couple of different sb nation websites big blue view Bleeding Green Nation, where I also co-host a QB Sco show where we break down quarterback play, myself and Michael Kist, and Pat's Popa, where I do film work, as well as the Sco show, which is my Patriots podcast, which comes out three times a week, usually once after the game, and then on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Wow, that is a lot of material. Going through this right now and doing three pods a week and two articles a week with the with the charting I do, I can't even imagine doing the amount of work that you do to put out content each week. That is That is very impressive. Well, Ken, it certainly beats being in an office and working for a living like I used to do. So I take this any day of the week over being in a deposition or something like that during the (laughs) time. There you go. Thanks so much for joining us, Mark. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just wondering if you wanted to get to a couple mailbag questions. Oh, absolutely. They're they're not as sophisticated questions as what you've prepared, but we've got questions that come in uh, and they address this game. So I think we should get to them. And first one up is wondering, is it possible to play a defense with two spies? And is that something that the Patriots could pull out against the Ravens this weekend? I think you might have just Lamar. addressed that. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, it's something that they've done at times. Um, it, it, again, though, the, the problem is like we were just talking about. If you do that, then maybe you're only able to rush two or three. Or maybe you're only able to, if you do decide to rush four and spy two, well, that's six. And now you've got five. 
And so the numbers game sort of works in your disadvantage one way or the other. So while they might do it, they're going to have to sacrifice something along the way. All right. And then um, this game could turn out to be a pretty close game. The Patriots have had some trouble with kicking this year. Is that something that you think is now fixed with Nick Folk? I don't think it's fixed, and I won't believe it's fixed until I see somebody split the uprights for a game winner because (laughs) it has been a question for us. And it was a question, you know, the extent of Gostowski's injury, obviously, you know, knee, you know, season-ended injury, so there was something wrong. But, you know, Patriots fans, we knew that there was a problem with that. You know, Mike Nugent. That doesn't really quite work from jump. Now, he had some bad situations to kick in. Obviously, the weather situation last week in their game against Cleveland, even their game against Washington, his first game with the Patriots, there was a bit of a weather situation down here. But it's been an uncertainty for them. And Patriots fans weren't even solidified with Gustavski going into this year. And so I think they're very unsettled about the kicking game. I think in most situations, you might still see if it's one of those situations, you know, fourth and four, the plus 30, where you might want to attempt that long field goal. They'll keep the offense on the field and rather just go for mm-hmm. it because they trust the offense more than the kickers right now. All right. It's, a, it's probably a good call anyway if the analysts have their way. So All right. like that, the numbers back it up for the most part. All right. And then final question is Patriots defense has been ranked high a lot, but the opponents have been of lesser quality opponents. And we've gone through this as Raven fans with waiting until Seattle to really trust this team. How do Patriot fans feel about the Patriots? Do they believe that the defense is as good as they're ranking, or is it the schedule helping out? Well, I mean, I think most of us believe that the defense is good. How good remains to be seen. The talent is certainly there. The execution and the schemes and the concepts have been there. But let's be honest. We've played Sam Darnold. We've played Luke Falk. We've played Daniel Jones. I mean, you know, until they get truly tested by a team like the Ravens this week, you know, we won't know exactly how good they are. The, the, you know, the Browns last week with Baker Mayfield and Odell, it was a good test. And they put up some points and Nick Chubb hit him for a couple of runs. They needed some turnovers and stuff to sort of swing that game. This, if you ask any Patriots fans, this is the biggest test of the season for them. And the Patriots will know a lot more about who they are around midnight on Sunday night than they know going into this game right now. And so, you know, Patriots fans, if they have the kind of defensive performance that they've had coming into this, they'll believe in their defense. But until it happens, there's still the jury kind of is out, so to speak. Is, is, are a lot of Patriots fans now talking about beating the 2000 Ravens record for points allowed? It's entered into the conversation, um, but we also sort of realized that, look, again, we've played some teams that haven't had good offenses. But you look at the second half of the season for New England because you've got this Baltimore game, then you get the bye, then you get Philadelphia, you get Houston, you get Dallas, you get Kansas City. Like, that's a tough stretch coming out of the bye. You get the Bills, you get one more time as well. Yeah, of course, you get, you know, Miami one more time, so mm-hmm. that will help. But that's a tough slate of games coming out of the bye. And so this will be an interesting test. But hitting that 2007 mark, that might be a tough task for this team, given who they have to play down the stretch, particularly what Sean Watson is doing. And we know Patrick Mahomes will be healthy by the time that Week 14 game rolls around. All right, great. Um, all right, we got all Mark's plugs and the millions of things he's doing throughout the week. Ken, you want to plug anything about uh, Film Study Baltimore? No, please go out to the new site. Josh put in a lot of work to move it over to WordPress from, from uh, it was what on, was it before? It was Squarespace. Squarespace. Now we've yeah, got, got freedom to actually do whatever we want with the site. 
Yeah, looks looks great, and the the content out there is uh, the offense and uh, defensive roster evaluations at midseason are out there. I highly recommend people look at that, give you some insight into how I look at value relative to cap and some of the declining value of options and where some players are in terms of their their future with the Ravens. You can get very excited about the offense, which has no players, not any one of their star young offensive players is going to be a free agent this year, and only three of them next year. So very exciting time to, to, to be a Ravens fan. I know we're going to have this offense for a couple of years yet. All right, that's great. All right, guys, well, enjoy uh, your rest of your week and weekend, and have a great time Sunday night. We're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii.